Welcome to The Right to Shower, critical conversations on homelessness and cleanliness. Welcome to The Right to Shower, a show with the purpose baked right there into the title. Every episode, we speak with leaders like NGOs, politicians, and other experts in social fields to explore why access to cleanliness is a fundamental human right. We are breaking down biases, sharing intimate stories, coming to new understandings, and discussing how providing access to cleanliness is helping those in the unhoused community. This broadcast is brought to you by The Right to Shower. The Right to Shower helps build mobile showers for those experiencing homelessness. So stick around at the end of the podcast to learn how you can get involved. I'm your host, Darius Baxter, President and CEO of Good Projects, where we're working every single day to support families on their pathway to self-sufficiency. This week, we have something a bit different for you. I'll be answering some questions that listeners have sent in about how you can help, why some folks choose not to stay in shelters, what providing housing will look like, and much more. You sent in some amazing, insightful questions, and I'm excited to get into them this episode. Let's get started. All right, we had listeners send in questions from all around the world, and we're, we're always very excited for the level of feedback that we get, not just from our listens on the podcast, but also on social media at The Right to Shower across social media platforms. So one of the first questions that came in from our listeners was, why do people become unhoused? This is a great question. This is one of the ones that came off Instagram. Now, there's a few different reasons that people end up experiencing homelessness and becoming unhoused. One of the biggest one is the lack of affordable housing and insufficient income. That is literally the leading cause of homelessness in this country and around the world. And it's unfortunate that women in particular cite domestic violence as another leading cause. But in the work that I do every day with Good Projects, we experience how this phenomenon has affected mothers, particularly single mothers, all throughout our country. And it's not something that we often think about when we think about people that are experiencing homelessness. But when we talk about a lack of affordable housing, particularly related to unemployment, poverty and low wages, it's worth noting that mental illness with a lack of services and substance abuse with a lack of services were two of the actually least cited reasons for homelessness. When we think about those that are on the streets, we often associate these behaviors with them. But we're coming to find out through the data and the research that these are actually the least cited reasons for homelessness, despite this being the stereotype of those experiencing homelessness. And this was a study done by the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty. And if you want to go back and listen to my conversations with Shams DeBurn, he talks about his experience becoming homeless at a very young age, when he was essentially kicked out of his group home at about 13 years old, forced to fend for himself on the streets. And what we found out from Shams DeBaron was that this is not a story that is unique to him. And for those of us that are working in the social sector, which I know a lot of our listeners are, we know that this is a phenomenon that is plaguing this country and something that we will continue to discuss here on the Right to Shower podcast. And that we hope that we are all fighting for in our day-to-day lives. Getting to our second question, how much would minimum wage have to be for people to afford housing? Well, that's a good question. And one of the first things that we have to cite is something that we're all experiencing. Just look at your, your latest gas pump. I was filling up my truck the other day for the first time ever. We broke into the three figures pumping that bad boy up. $120 here in the district to fill up a tank. I couldn't believe it. But what is that a cause of something we all know and love? Inflation. Because if minimum wage was adjusted for inflation only, just adjusted for inflation, it would be almost $26 an hour or over $50,000 annually for somebody to be able to afford housing. But we have to keep in mind, this is not a 
specific science, because by the grace of God, we live here in the United States of America with 50 different states, with 50 different levels of inflation. I'm joining you here from Washington, D.C. today, one of the most expensive places in the country, and we'll have an opportunity to talk about that. But before that, let's look at places like South Dakota that has the lowest cost of living, where one adult will need to make roughly $26,225 before taxes, which is about $12.61 per hour if you work 40 hours a week with no vacations or sick days to be able to afford housing. But here in the district, in D.C. metro area, where the cost of living is higher, one adult needs to make about $15.20 an hour minimum just to afford housing. But the living wage is closer to about $23 an hour. Now compare that to what we call the national poverty line, which is about $25,000 a year. So it seems like there's some work that we need to do. And these studies come from the MIT living wage calculator. Moving things right along. One of the questions that came in from a listener, what are different kinds of homelessness? Ooh, this is a good question. It's not something that we often think about. We often put people experiencing homelessness in a big blanket, but come to find out there's actually different levels to this thing, man. One of the first ones being something we call transitional homelessness. This is actually the most common type of homelessness that people experience. It is a state of homelessness resulting from a major life change or catastrophic event. I think we've all experienced one of those a day or two in our life. But by the grace of God, we may have had a support network that kept us off the streets. But that's not the case for everyone. When people experience a thing like job loss, divorce, domestic abuse, different health conditions, substance abuse, or even family crisis. These are things that can spur people to experiencing homelessness. And to an earlier question that came up, as inflation continues to rise, all of us get closer and closer and closer to one catastrophic incident, putting us in a place where we are experiencing transitional homelessness. One of the other things that may actually stem from transitional homelessness is something called episodic homelessness. This is our second kind of homelessness that people experience. Episodic homelessness is at least three periods of homelessness in a 12-month span. For a lot of those that we see that are on the streets experiencing homelessness, it's not a consistent thing. They often may find themselves living on a family member's couch. They may often find themselves staying at a shelter. But usually younger people are those dealing with a condition such as substance abuse, mental illness, or physical health condition that puts them in a period of episodic homelessness. In some cases, some episodically unhoused people actually have seasonal or minimum wage income jobs. So these are people that are working but still find themselves not able to afford housing on a consistent basis. And this can lead to chronic homelessness without support and resources. I didn't know at the time, and I know on the, the Right to Shower podcast, I don't often share my personal stories. But at the end of the day, this is very meaningful to me because at one point in my own life, little known fact, I actually experienced a form of episodic homelessness, where when I was about nine years old, our house was foreclosed on. At the time, I didn't realize that we were homeless when my mother told us that we had to pack up all of our boxes and that we were going to live at our grandma's house. Every morning I would wake up and see my mother sleeping on the couch. I just associated this with a shift in our lifestyle, not realizing that we had nowhere else to go. And I know this is not unique for children in this country and definitely not unique for our listeners. But the more that we can start to define the different types of homelessness, the better off we'll be as a country in providing different supports. And that takes us to our third kind of homelessness, which is chronic homelessness, the one that we're probably more familiar with, where an unaccompanied homeless individual with a disabling condition 
has been homeless for more than a year. For this population, these tend to be our older folk. They make up about 17% of the unhoused community. This is complex, long-term homelessness, usually associated with health issues and people living on the street, in parks, in cars, or in other places that are not suitable or safe for living. And this is the population where we truly, truly, truly have to continue to fight to provide supports, resources, and services. Now, as we come to an end of the different types of homelessness, one of the ones that is the most prevalent, but one that we don't actually consider is something called hidden homelessness, where an individual who lives with others temporarily without a permanent home are considered hidden homeless because they are hidden from national statistics as they do not have access to housing support services. Many in the hidden homelessness population are younger people who have experienced a sudden catastrophic life-changing trauma or challenge as a result. Now, you can see the commonalities between all of these different types of homelessness, but what they all speak to at the end of the day is how close we all are to this. One of the things we try to do with the right to shower is to really bring a face to homelessness, where it's so often that we can find ourselves walking past people on the streets, just saying that could never happen to me. But in listening to this podcast today, what I'm hoping some of our listeners might actually discover is that periods in your life, you may actually have been experiencing homelessness yourself. But by the support systems that you had, you were able to stay off the streets. Now, let's keep it moving to our next question. Why do so many unhoused folks live on the streets versus in shelters? Now, this is a good question, and I know it's something that's come up on our previous episodes. If you haven't had an opportunity to listen, you can find them on all streaming platforms. There's tons of conversations that we've had specifically around this question in the past. And for that reason, I know there's a lot of reasons that people decide to live on the streets versus in the shelters. But some of the main ones are their ability to not bring a pet or personal possession into the shelter, something that you don't even think about too often. Here we have individuals that are experiencing homelessness and far too often we disassociate their humanity with them, which is one of the reasons why at the Right to Shower, one of our best-selling scents is actually dignity. If you haven't tried it, it's one of my favorites. I have it in bathrooms all throughout my house. But something as simple as the inability to be able to bring a pet or personal possession into a shelter will actually deter an individual from wanting to move inside of the shelter versus living on the streets. And it's something that we don't consider. It's like, oh my gosh, forget that dog or that cat or forget that blanket. You need to be inside. It's cold outside. But imagine if somebody came into your house and told you that you had to move and you couldn't take your dog with you. What decision would you make? I'll pause there for a second. What decision would you make? Right. These are human beings. And we don't often think about that enough. Human beings with families, human beings with functional brains, human beings that for whatever reason have found themselves down and out. And we need to continue to create systems that support the human being not just the problem. Moving to the other reasons, we have families not being able to stay together. This is one of the biggest things that we often find ourselves. People would rather stay together on the streets than risk going into shelters or homeless services that separate their families. Couples are often separated into men's and women's shelters. Couples with or without children may not be accepted altogether. There are a lot of factors, particularly as it pertains to the family dynamic. And shelters may also require sobriety for a certain amount of time and or drug testing to come into shelters. 
or someone may not even be yet ready to accept help for the substance abuse disorders, which may be a requirement of the shelters. And people will choose to stay on the streets rather than entering into those services. This is not uncommon. People are unable to stay with their friends or family due to unsafe conditions or unrealistic stipulations for moving into the shelters. You have both public and private shelters, and we've learned about a number of these over the course of our show. And for individuals going into these shelters, there are often a set of requirements that they have to meet in order to be able to enter into the shelter that they are either not able to or not ready and willing to be able to. And finally, one of the the leading reasons why people decide to live on the streets versus going into shelters is not wanting to be separated from their community and their support system on the streets. Just last week, we were with master chef, talent, fashionista, TV personality, chef Andrew Zimmern, and he told us about the bottle gang. He had a name for it. They had set up their own gang in these streets and not one based off violence, one based off community love and a little bit of whiskey after 6 p.m., And they were moving around to these different abandoned buildings throughout New York. Even in the midst of experiencing homelessness, they had created this community of one another to be able to survive a natural intuition of human beings. So when faced with either being in a loving, supportive community in the streets versus moving into a shelter where you'll be isolated and individualized, a lot of those experiencing homelessness choose to remain in the streets with their communities. And the way uh, Chef Andrew Zimmer explained, and I ain't knocking him, man. It seemed like there was a lot of love there. So we have some more questions coming in from our listeners. Here's one that I really like. How come welfare doesn't prevent people from becoming unhoused? Wow, that is a great question. That is a great question. I would love to know where the reader was from that sent that one in. It looks like this is one of our ones off of Instagram as well. Now, For our listeners that ask this question, and I'll repeat it, how come welfare doesn't prevent people from becoming unhoused? Welfare is like the most minimum amount of money that the government wants to give out. And we just talked about what affordable housing looks like. But some welfare imposes work requirements for folks, which means someone who is physically or mentally unable to work, unable to get transportation to work, or unable to find childcare cannot get these benefits. Meaning that For those that are on welfare, there are so many stipulations that are in place and people don't think about these things. We have created a system here in the States that in more than one way incentivizes people to remain on welfare. But what welfare has not done historically, and especially what we're seeing in today's age, is kept up with the rising cost of food, housing, gas, childcare. So to ask the question, how come welfare doesn't prevent people from becoming unhoused? The better question might be, how come welfare has not kept up with the times and the cost of living for individuals? Wages and benefits are not keeping up with the cost of living. So even if someone does have a job and these social benefits are available, they are still not able to afford housing, food, child care, medical care, and all the other things that go into just creating a basic quality of life. We're not even talking about thriving at this point. We're talking about the bare minimum of what it takes to be able to survive. Many people do not seek out these benefits, especially children, because of the requirements tied to the assistance. There is so many things that we do not factor in when somebody finds themselves on welfare. And because of this, people often are either reluctant 
to participate in the services or are unaware altogether of all the benefits that exist. Keeping things moving right along, we had a question come in where a listener asked, has there ever been a movement to universalize the right to shelter or other federal measures to alleviate homelessness? That is a beautiful question. Now, generally, the concepts of housing first and housing as a human right are ongoing movements based on the idea that shelter is necessary for life and that providing housing to all is the first step to helping individuals get into a better situation and become self-sufficient. And we've had a number of listeners on the right to shower over the course of this season that are well, well, well endowed into the movement for universal housing. And we've had politicians join the show and activists that are working to do just that. There are public housing and federal housing vouchers known as housing choice vouchers or Section 8 vouchers, which do exactly what you're asking. It allows low-income households to rent market rate housing. And studies have shown that this is a successful act at reducing family homelessness. But like most of the things that we talk about in the right to shower, providing access to them then becomes the hurdle. The 1979 lawsuit Callahan versus Carey argued that housing is a human right baked into the New York State Constitution. And that that one lawsuit paved the way for the right to shelter for homeless men and women, children and families in New York City. Now, how do states and jurisdictions all around the country learn from what we've seen in New York, which is one of the reasons why you see here on the show, we've had a lot of representation from the Northeast. They've continued to be one of the pioneers as it pertains to providing services and supports to those experiencing homelessness, keeping things moving. We had some more questions coming in, man. The lines are very busy today. We had a caller that has, uh, I said a caller. (laughs) We had a listener that has chimed in to our sounding board today asking, what would it look like to provide the unhoused housing? Well, put a roof over their head, you know, but (laughs) to get more (laughs) into more detail, since affordable housing is a large cause of homelessness, it would look like something where we allocate funding to putting families and individuals into apartments and homes rather than spending that money on policing and emergency medical services. We put funding everywhere in this country, everywhere. I challenge all of our listeners to just take 30 seconds of your day, 30 seconds, that's it, maybe less, depending on how fast your internet connection is, to just Google the federal spending allocation in the U.S. I'm not going to spoil it for you. It'll blow your mind to see how we use our funding. I'll give you a little hint. We spend almost 60% of our funding on less than four programs, but I'll let you take a look and see what that goes to. But when we talk about housing as a fundamental human right, we know that we have the ability not just at the state level, but at the federal level, to provide more housing vouchers and to incentivize developers to build more affordable housing and to use rent control. We cannot sustain the level of inflation that we have seen in this country over the long term, where in two, between 2020 and 2022, we have printed 40 percent, 40 percent of all of the money <laughs> in our entire stockpile in the last three years, 40%. Now that's wow. Now, something like that inevitably is going to create more inflation. 
when we're seeing this in everything that we're doing. And not to beat a dead horse here, but I'm hoping that this message does not fall on deaf ears, especially for our listeners that find themselves in political positions. Permanent supportive housing is necessary, is necessary for us to sustain as a society. Now, permanent supportive housing is where we pair long-term rental assistance with supportive services, and we target individuals and families with chronic illnesses, disabilities, and mental health issues, where we can provide them the supports and services that they need to be able to stay in long-term housing and to get them out of the cycle of repeated homelessness. And one of the other things that we've seen that's been super effective, and I know this is something that we utilize at Good Projects, and I've personally seen the benefits of some of the projects that I've worked on, is this idea of rapid rehousing, where if somebody finds themselves in a position where they are going through some type of life issue or trauma that is putting them in a position where they are threatened with experiencing homelessness, that we have the systems and the supports in place to rapidly rehouse them, providing them short-term rental assistance and services. This is not a pipe dream. This is something that's being done all over the country, just not necessarily something that's been adopted at a high level. But the goals of programs like rapid rehousing are to help people obtain housing quickly, increase self-sufficiency, and for people to stay housed. As we know, the studies have shown once an individual, particularly children, experiences homelessness for any period of time, the level of adverse childhood experiences and trauma that is placed in that individual can set them back decades. And the effects of experiencing homelessness will set them on a trajectory that ultimately all of us will have to pay for in the long run. For one of us to fall through the cracks, all of us fall through the cracks, particularly in a country like America, where we have just so much to give. Now, this was a very simple, but I think poignant question from one of our listeners. Put simply, they asked, how can I help? Well, I tell you every show, you can help by liking and subscribing to this podcast and sharing it with a friend. But you can also visit therighttoshower.com. Right at our website, we give a bunch of different types of things that our listeners and our viewers, that our buyers can do to support those experiencing homelessness. Some of those things you can familiarize yourself with the organizations providing services. There are tons local to you and their locations and their populations resonate with the communities that I know our listeners are proud of and want to support. You can donate clothes. This is something, it's springtime. We're cleaning up. I know through the pandemic, we've maybe put on a few pounds. You know you can't fit those pants no more. But at the end of the day, there are people out there that need these things. Dignity. Let's always go back to dignity. There is nothing wrong. And I love the time and the culture that we have built where recyclable fashion, renewable fashion is becoming popular. I personally am a thrifty. I'm wearing a thrifted jumper right now. No shame in my game. And I know some of y'all got some popping stuff in your closets. Bag it up and take it to your local shelter. And I know if you live in a metropolis like I do here in D.C., there's these bins, these big yellow bins and the big blue bins all around the city that you can drop the items right in to. And one of the biggest things that people can donate and what we don't think about is undergarments, undergarments, especially socks. And remember, for some of my hikers out there, cotton kills, man. We're going to make a shift of wool. If I'm going to be a pioneer, I don't happen to be it. And one of the things that you know we're super passionate about here at The Right to Shower is hygiene products. People need to feel clean. You know, I always like to quote my boy Deion Sanders, when you look good, you feel good. And when you feel good, you get paid good. On our fight to get people 
out of experiencing homelessness, one of the easiest gifts that we can give them is the right to feel clean. What else can you do? You can volunteer. Simply giving your funds is cool. And fundraising is definitely something that you can do. I ain't telling nobody not to click that donate button. If you're feeling so generous, pop over to goodprojects.org. But at the end of the day, the biggest gift and the treasure that you have, the most finite one that you have, the most expensive one that you have is your time. And from the conversations that we've had here on the Right to Shower podcast, we understand that more often than not, those experiencing homelessness, what they're looking for is a friend. They're looking for a community. And there's a great article that you can read on the right to shower.com with many different ways that you can volunteer locally and nationally. One of the other things that you can do is you can research your local candidates and their proposals on homelessness and support those who echo your values. We've had tons of advocates from the homeless community itself and those working at every level of the fight for those experiencing homelessness. But at the end of the day, the right to shower is just one podcast. We need your help. Send us those that are in your community supporting those that are experiencing homelessness so that we can elevate them but more so that we're counting on you to use your democratic right to support those in your communities that are doing this work. And lastly, some ways that you can help is you can participate in local point in time count, head count of individuals experiencing homelessness because this data is used in deciding fund for programs. More often, those experiencing homelessness don't have access to the same level of technologies access to mailboxes, access to social services that all of us do. But at the end of the day, the way that we can support those experiencing homelessness is to know how many are out there. We just recently finished the census, and I'm sure we're all already seeing the effects of that, where we're seeing redistricting happen and reallocation of resources. But if we don't know those that are on the streets experiencing homelessness, how can we help them? Point in time count is something that we all can participate in to make sure that those experiencing homelessness are accounted for. We had another question come in from a listener where they asked, how can I help specifically when it comes to hygiene? One of the first things you can visit to write to shower.com. And you can also purchase our products at Amazon and also in a number of retailers throughout the continental U.S., now, you can create hygiene kits using our products or other products to give directly to anyone you encounter experiencing homelessness. This can include a toothbrush and toothpaste. This can be hand sanitizer and hand wipes. This can be tissues. This can be shampoo. This can be socks. This can be feminine hygiene products. It can be a freaking gift card for somebody to buy other essential hygiene items. There are the same thing. Go in your bathroom right now and open your cabinet. I would hope that you have some stuff in there, but just take account, just take a post-it note to the bathroom and write down all of the things that are part of your daily routine. And then ask yourself, damn, where would I be without my facial lotion? And then take that list and take it to the grocery store and buy 15 of each one. Maybe not the, the big bottle size that you have in the shower, but nice travel sizes. And then start to put some kits together. It's something simple and easy that you can do. Just walk it out into your community, ensuring people have hygiene kits. And if you don't feel comfortable doing it on your own, there are a number of organizations across the states that are doing just this. And you can get involved with organizations like our partners at LavaMe, who are providing mobile showers to the streets. It's a beautiful program. If you have not seen a LavaMe truck, you can visit their website or visit therightoshower.com to see where they are in regions near you. Another question that is coming from a listener, how can I help someone who is panhandling if I don't have any money? 
Oh my gosh, this is a problem that we all facing. I know I don't carry a lot of cash anymore, and I know I'm not alone. <laughs> this gives a great opportunity for all my entrepreneurs out there. You all can steal this idea. If you can create that solution, you'll be a very, uh, very, very influential person. But until that day comes, the biggest piece of advice that I would give to anybody that finds themselves engaging with a panhandler and they don't have any money is the simple, easy rule to do not ignore them. I'm going to say that again. If you run into somebody that is panhandling and you don't have any money, acting like they are a ghost is not an option. Do not ignore them. It's cost you absolutely nothing to smile. It costs you absolutely nothing to have a conversation. Empathy, respect, and compassion. You can explain to them very simply, hey, I don't have any money, but can I offer you some water? Can I offer you some food? Can I offer you a warm drink? Ask them what they need. And if it's in your possession, it's nothing for you to give it to them. Just simply rationalizing, hey, I don't have something, so I'm going to ignore this person because I have nothing to offer them. First, takes away your own humanity because all of us have something to give. And more often than not, if we don't realize that the greatest gift that we have to give has nothing to do with the amount of money that we have, then this podcast was for nothing at the end of the day. So for those that are out there asking, what do I do if I don't have any money? Give yourself wholly with all the love and compassion that you were blessed with. And I guarantee you that would be an even greater gift than the few dollars that you would have had in your pocket. To that same point, question came in from a listener and they said, is giving money to a panhandler the best move? I've heard that it's not. Well, I don't know who you heard that from, but we'll answer the question. And this is a tough one to answer because I think the idea behind giving money being a bad idea comes from this perception that everyone who is homeless has a drug or alcohol problem. Well, I guarantee people that aren't homeless have a drug and alcohol problem and their bosses aren't asking them where their paycheck goes. There's this idea that those experiencing homelessness at much higher levels are experiencing drug and alcohol abuse, which from the data, and we've even mentioned it on this conversation today, isn't true. Oftentimes people find themselves experiencing homelessness for one adverse event in their life or another. And as we know from listening to the right to shower and looking at the information, all of us are a lot closer today in 2022 to experiencing some form of homelessness than we ever were. So now is really a time for us to start to get compassionate, which is why if you've been listening to the show, you know that's a big misconception. The assumption is money will be used to further the addiction. So why give it to them anyway, rather than being used for food or other necessary items? Now, look, at the end of the day, it's up to you and what you feel comfortable with giving. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. I'm not here to tell you how to spend your coin. I am here to tell you to like and subscribe to our podcast and share it with a friend. That's my job. But when you tip a waiter, do you ask them what they're going to spend their money on? Do you? That's not a rhetorical question. I want you to sit in your car and ask yourself that. Like, really reflect on it. Look in the mirror, right? When is the last time you bought a drink? Did anybody side-eye you? When is the last time? I live in the District of Columbia here. No shame. You know, we've decriminalized the use of marijuana and some other recreational drugs. Stores popping up every corner, people walking in and out. There's not an eye being batted at those individuals. But for some reason, we've created these stereotypes for those experiencing homelessness that they cannot, whether they decide to use it for to buy 10 Teletubbies or they decide to go buy a fifth of vodka. That is their choice. That is their choice. Let me say it again. That is their choice. This is the thing about giving. We all come from different foundations 
of belief systems. But one of the core things that connects all of us is this idea to treat our neighbors how we want to be treated. Now, in the faith tradition that I come from, there's a very core principles even as it pertains to giving. It's give with your right hand. When you give with your right hand, your left hand shouldn't even know that it's happening. When you're giving, it's not about what the other person decides to do with it. You're giving from your own heart. You're giving from your own source of values. You're giving not expecting to receive a thank you. You're giving not expecting the person to go off and do anything crazy with it. or anything. You're giving because it's the right thing to do. You shouldn't even have to ask yourself or think about for one split second what the person decides to do with it because that is not up to you. If you're giving with positive intent, that's all that matters. All you can do is hope that that small seed that you planted, that small mustard seed that you planted, if you do it with empathy, kindness and compassion, and most importantly, love, that if you show up in that way, especially when you're giving, not sort of haphazardly like, oh, just take this because I'm better than you, that that hopefully could be that spark to put that person on the right path and get them out of experiencing homelessness. I'm glad that question came in because too often when we think about giving, it's us putting ourselves in a position of power where giving has nothing to do about being in a position of power. Giving is an opportunity. Every morning that we wake up, and I find myself doing this, and I really just want to spend a little bit of time on this question. Every morning that we have the opportunity to wake up and there's air that fills our lungs and all of our amenities work and we have food on our table and a roof over our head and clothes on our back and at least one person out here in the world that loves us, we are blessed beyond our wildest dreams because there are people all over this world that cannot say the same. So with that being said, we already are living in a place of abundance just to have those things at a minimum. So at that point, you start to think about giving not as an option, but as an opportunity and a mandate. And more importantly than anything, we will often realize, and I call myself this, I'm a selfish giver. And people be like, what do you mean? Bax, you're a selfish giver. I'm a selfish giver. I give for myself. I give because it makes me feel good. It makes me tingling. It keeps me up late at night. Just ask myself, how can I do more? How can I give more? Because all of us at some point in our lives have experienced grace. And what we often realize is that when we give, if we give just a little bit of seed, more often than not, it not only blesses the person, but it blesses us. It puts us in a better headspace. It puts good karma out into the world that we're then reciprocating. So I challenge everybody, continue to make those deposits of good. Moving on to our next question. What can I easily have on hand or in my car to give out to people in need? Love, you always can carry that with you. But our past guest on the podcast, Dr. Jim Withers, he likes to keep water bottles and granola bars in his car to give out. Snacks like granola bars and dried fruit will stay good in your car and are easy for individuals to hold on to until they want to eat it. For those of us that live in more hot climates, I encourage you to stay away from the ones with the chocolate in it. I learned that lesson the hard way. Uh, <laughs> but uh, keeping granola bars and water in your car is something simple and easy that you can do. And we already mentioned it earlier in the show, but you can always have some care kits just ready to go in your car. It's nothing. They're non-perishable. They're easy to do. Who knows? You might need one one day. Just probably helpful to keep. Keep a blanket in your car too. Whatever you think is the essential care kit. And this goes back to the earlier statement. It's easy for us to ask these questions of people experiencing homelessness or somehow living in this alternative world of reality. If you really just sit down and think, don't ask yourself, what does a homeless, somebody experiencing homelessness need? 
ask yourself, if I was in this position, what would I need? What would I want? And that makes answering those questions a lot easier. One of the last questions that we have for today is how do I start my own mobile shower service? Okay, we got some ambitious listeners out here. I ain't mad at you. By the grace of God, we've been able to partner with our amazing contacts at LavaMe, who created something called LavaMe X Connect, which is a community of people bringing mobile showers and other services to the streets. You can become a member for free to access training events, DIY toolkits, and support from the LavaMe X team and other members. I personally have visited the LavaMe X Connect website because we're building mobile showers in our school in Kenya. Um, the Baxter Family Kids Center. We have over 200 kids that need to learn how to wash their hands. <laughs> so we're actually um, heading there at the end of May. And one of the projects we're going to be working on is building a mobile shower. So hopefully I'll have some content for our listeners that I can push out and uh, show you guys how it's done. Now, I want to thank our listeners because there were a ton of great questions that came in today. And hopefully as the show continues to grow, we'll be able to get more of you all not only on the show, but give you an opportunity to send in questions on a more frequent basis. But at the end of the day, the premise of all of these questions really came down to a simple thing. How do I get more involved? And if you're listening to this show, you've already taken the first steps. There's a lot of salacious content out here on the web these days, and not a lot of it has to do with how do we support those that are experiencing homelessness. So I first and foremost want to tell you, give yourself grace. Today is my day to give out an affirmation. I know we usually do it for our guests, but I'll give it to you. First and foremost, give yourself grace. You're doing everything right. If nobody else tells you that today, I'll tell you that. You are doing everything right. I'll say it again. You are doing everything right. If you take the simple practice every day of loving yourself, then it becomes that much easier to love those around you and not half-heartedly but fully because you'll walk out every single day knowing that there's just something different about you. There's just something light that you have inside that just needs to be shared with the world and going and having that conversation when you see somebody panhandling on the street or you see somebody at work or at the gym that may be struggling becomes even easier. So more than anything, my challenge to our listeners as we close out this week's episode is to continue to practice radical self-love because in learning to love yourself, you learn to love others and to teach others how to love themselves as well. So with that being said, thank you so much for joining me today on the Right to Shower. I hope you learned something new or found a new way that you can help out your unhoused neighbors. If you'd like to get involved, there's a few ways you can. You can visit therighttoshower.com slash get involved to learn more about opportunities to volunteer or donate. You can also buy our shower products on therighttoshower.com or through Amazon. For every soap you buy and shower you take, you help us bring showers to the streets. Another free and simple way you can help us is to rate this podcast, leave a review, or share it with your friends so that we can spread the power of the shower to even more people. I'm Darius Baxter, and this has been The Right to Shower, presented by Unilever.